Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, transformational coach, Tambry Harris. What you drink? So sometimes when you meet someone for the first time and you start having conversations with them, uh, have you ever gotten this nostalgic feeling like you've been here before? You've had this conversation before and actually you've met this spirit, this intimate, uh, this entity before because of the things that you guys are talking about and the level of intimacy that you're getting to almost immediately. Well, that's exactly what happened to me the first time I met our guest, Tambry Harris. Welcome to Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Galen. And I, I just love that introduction um, because one of the things I talk about is, is leading with authenticity. And so that's what you're saying. It's like, you know, hearts and spirits connect and you start just kind of going deep right away because you know you can. So love that. Uh, yeah, that that's exactly my experience. And, uh, you know, I think I said almost immediately, oh, oh my God, I, I got to have you on this podcast somehow. And that was a while ago. So I've been waiting with bated breath <laughs> until our until our schedules could sync up to make this a reality and so we are here uh, but I'm I'm getting ahead of myself because uh all of this all of this conversation this is great and I'm I'm always looking to catch up with you uh but my listeners know uh I've I've got one question that that I've got to ask to kick off this conversation in the right way so here here we go so so what you drinking uh-huh uh-huh. You know, and speaking of authenticity, Galen, I could have gone and found a really expensive, impressive whiskey to 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 drink with you and talk about it, but I am drinking screwball peanut butter whiskey. Hey, that that's a good call. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only other person, see, this is how in sync we are. The only other person who drank screwball peanut butter whiskey on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership happened in season two, and that is Jared Simmons. And would you would you know? I happened to talk to Jared just uh, just earlier today, so we've got screwball in the air. This was supposed to happen. Yeah, we're just going to be a bunch of screwballs together. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Well, hey, so again, I, I give a lot of thought to the whiskeys that I choose, and and this time, I decided to go for something that used to be my favorite. It actually used to. I used to have like two or three bottles in reserve. And for whatever reason, it just it just it stopped making the cut, uh, and I moved on to other things. And someone gifted me a bottle for Christmas, and I, I I had to remember, oh my God, what happened? That I forgot how amazing this is. And so today I'm going with uh, Widow Jane. Uh, it's aged ten years. This is this is uh, made in uh, new American oak barrels, and this is ninety one proof. So, you know, around that one hundred proof mark that I usually play with, but not quite. 
because uh, this is something that I, anyway, usually just I, I pour a little bit, uh, I, I sip it, I just let it, I just let it marinate in my glass, and I enjoy the evening with you know without getting too concerned that I might be doing something a little crazy. So that is kind of the mood that uh, I decided I was going to be in, knowing that I was going to have this conversation with Ms. Tambry Harris. Uh, so I'm going to pour me some of this. Open this up. Pour me, pour me a good, I'm going to pour a good pour of this one. Oh, so you drink it neat. That's right. That's right. And uh, this is bringing back such great memories. Because again, this used to be my go-to, my everyday. And for whatever reason, I, I don't even know why I moved away from this. So while I enjoy this, the, these moments of memory, uh, I would love for you to share just a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing now. Because uh, you know, I've got a lot of colleagues who are in the coaching and leadership development space. But I don't have very many colleagues who come to this profession, this career, this calling with the same background that you do. So if you could share just a little bit about the journey that has brought you with us today, that'd be great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Galen, you and I both really want people to tap into their passion and you know what, what just really fuels their their spirit and energizes them. And I lucked out. Well, I went, I went off to college to be an architect. And after one year, I discovered that that was not my gift or ability. Um, and so I did my little survey course and ran into psychology and sociology, fell in love with the content. And then it's okay. So what am I going to do with that? So I actually ended up getting my master's um, in industrial organizational psychology from the get-go and was working for, um, I had a paid internship at Duke Energy. So I was really fortunate to kind of just hit the ground running, flying, you know, psychology principles to the workplace. And so sometimes that looks like at an organizational level, thinking about what kind of culture do we want to create? What kind of environment do we want to nurture? And of course, leaders are the key to that. So then it a lot of times translates to coaching leaders and helping them lead in a way that, you know, helps, you know, kind of bring forth this, this desired environment. So I have spent really my, my career and it's been both internal. And then I went and worked for um, Arthur Anderson's business consulting and was, you know, involved in a lot of culture setting and coaching type scenarios with that. And then moved back internal um, to work at First Union Wachovia, where I again kind of played at a variety of different levels of of the organization, whether it be looking at, you know, broad organizational culture or team development or leadership. And so did that and then went out on my own about 15 years ago and really have chosen to be more in the team and leadership development space as I've as I've kind of carved carved my way. Fantastic. And you know, and, and one of the things I want to I want to uh circle back to is you know your comment about how uh, you and I really do seem to always talk about uh, how can we bring the whole person into whatever leadership experience they are trying to rise to, 
And uh, you know, the reason the reason I want to talk about this because I just had this conversation with with a potential client earlier today, where at, at one point it was a big deal for leaders to be able to say, "Well, I compartmentalize." And I keep my home separate from my work and I keep my work separate from my home. And I've just got this great ability to compartmentalize. And one of the things that I've become convinced of, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, I've become convinced that that's a bunch of hooey. That no matter how good you think you are, if you are having a bad experience at home, it's going to affect your work. And if things aren't clicking at work, there is virtually no way you can avoid bringing at least some of that home. And so how, how, how is it that you can bring your full self? And when we coach, uh, we try to co- coach the full person because it's, it's all in the goulash. So what, what's your, what's your take on that? And, and, and how does that affect the kind of work that, that you do? You know, I, as you were talking about it, I think about those those individuals who are just kind of shells. You know, they're 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 only partially there, and it's because of the compartmentalization you're talking about. And so, when we can truly embrace, you know, our, our whole selves, and I am I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I don't know if you are, but you know her. Her leaning into authenticity and vulnerability and the the data that she brings to that. Cause I'm I'm a very intuitive person. So all this stuff makes sense to me. But then we've got we've got people who have the numbers and the figures that can back it up. It makes it feel like, you know, it just kind of validates what we're talking about. But yeah, and and the other thing is with this compartmentalization, I mean, our bodies will hold the stress, hold the tension. And so we it is truly um, a, a zero-sum gain in trying to just keep those two things separate. And I think one of the first things is really recognizing how much of that we do. And I will tell you, I um, the first part of my career, I lived from my head up. And I was real smart, and I was an achiever and a striver, and you didn't get all of me. Because of that, you know, the conversation you said that we had that really you're like, okay, I need I need to have Tambry on the show. That's the whole me that you met versus the, you know, the very cut off segmented me that felt safe mm. early on in my career. And it's taken time to, first of all, wake up and say, wow, you know, that's not all of me. And okay, and now how do I start peeling back the layers so I can be more integrated? I can be more whole as I come into the various parts of my life. Wow, wow. Because, I mean, let's face it, you and I could do this work without bringing vulnerability into this. We we could do this work, and I, I am positive there could be some people who might be impressed with the work that we do without bringing vulnerability into this. But I don't know that it would be as as true I don't know that it would be as real. And quite honestly, I don't know that it would be as effective. And that's one of the things that I really, I think I was drawn to about you even before I could articulate it, that I I got a sense that, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown. I, I love when she says that there can be no authenticity without vulnerability. And that's scary. 
that's scary. That means I've got to show up and I've got to reveal some things that might not be as polished as I would like. But that's really what makes people want to listen to you as, as, as I did as I did with you. So what are your thoughts about the courage that it takes to be vulnerable? Yeah, the, the word trust was coming up for me when I was listening to you. I need to trust you enough. And 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 in and then so as I am courageous in, in sharing and being vulnerable, now I am building, now you're trusting me more. You just think about, you know, where things can go once we start risking a little bit and, and, and peeling back that that trust piece. Um so yeah, I, but it does take courage. And I think sometimes it's um hmm, I think we have to be savvy because there are some folks that could, you know, uh, and I think he, Brene even says that you, know, you have to choose the people that you're vulnerable with. So there is there is a piece of that, but um, I think there's different levels of of trust and courage that can be shown. And then as things begin to open up, you re- you realize, okay, this is where this is what's possible. And so there's some kind of inherent reward as as things do open up when you're sharing. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, you, we've jumped right into just trying to, you know, talk about coaching because that's something we're so passionate about. And I'm still trying to find the words to fully articulate the attraction, the spiritual attraction that I had to our conversation. But I, I'm curious, and you talked a little bit about your background and your journey, but how did you come to coaching? Because I'm going to talk about myself. This is not something I would have said that I wanted to do when I was 22 years old. This would not have been on the list. So how did you come to coaching? How did this become a thing for you? You know, I mentioned the psychology attraction. And I, at the time, thought that being a counselor, I was worried that I would take people's problems home with me. And so I thought, okay, I don't see myself being, you know, a therapist or, or whatever. And so that's why I went to the more, again, the applied to the business world part of psychology. But there was still that attraction to the person, you know, and helping the person. And so this was all in the 90s. And so some of the, the coaching profession was evolving at that time. And one thing I will give a big shout out to um, my former organization, particularly First Union, they were so good about developing their people. And so as I was working for them, just opportunities kept opening up. And so this being able to be an internal coach, being able to coach high performing, you know, leaders, the ability to then be the a coach for coaches. I mean, these things just kept opening up and I kept getting certified in these spaces. And the more I did it, the more I loved it. So it really was, you know, sometimes I'll talk about the fact that, you know, when a door is open for me, I'll just walk through and trust that. And, and those doors just kept getting open for me. And that's, you know, it revealed itself and I jumped in and I haven't turned back basically. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now you're, now you're starting to get into the, to the analogy of the name for this show. And I I love asking my guests because I I usually only talk with brilliant, brilliant people. So I'm trying to get a, a better explanation as to the name for this show. So whiskey, jazz, and leadership. I like all three, literally. I also like the metaphor. So I want to run the metaphor by you and just see how this clicks 
with you or if this just makes sense in my head. Uh, so for me, whiskey is about enjoying what you're doing with the people you're doing it with. It's almost like I got my crew and I really don't care what the folks outside of my crew think because, you know, we get it. We understand it. It's kind of our own little thing. And so for me, that's the metaphor for whiskey. The metaphor for jazz is this idea that the only thing I know for sure is nothing will go according to plan. And how do you get from where you are to where you need to be, even in the absence of sheet music? even when things aren't written down or when things that are written down don't go according to plan still how do you how do you find the grit how do you find the gumption how do you find the courage to still go from where you are to where you need to be i, I like the way uh martin luther king jr said it he he said that courage is taking the next step even when you don't see the rest of the staircase so for me that's jazz and then leadership for me is this idea that marketing is great. It's a lot of fun. Strategy is really, really important, but nobody eats unless somebody kills something. Someone needs to stand up and say, we're going to take this path. Unless I get more information, unless you have a better idea, we're going to take this path starting today. And someone needs to stand up and do that or else nothing will get happened. We'll just sit around the table and talk about it forever. So for me, that's how this, this metaphor fits, uh, specifically with this podcast. How does that metaphor fit for you? How does this hold water with someone who's studied psychology for years? Yeah. You know, when you mentioned the, um, the whiskey part, I think about how you opened our time together and how you were talking about your love of this particular whiskey and how, and the memories it brings back. And to me, when you were describing, it's this, this sharing of, of things you've discovered. And so again, I think leadership's that part, right? We learn things and we want to share and kind of coalesce around the different you know, whether it be a great book or a, um, a great leader, or great philosophy, whatever. So I can see, I like the way you were describing your people, you know, the folks that really love this. And, and my peanut butter whiskey story, I mean, I had a girlfriend who introduced it to me. And I mean, it was just because I'm more of a wine drinker. And so it was just kind of fun to for her to share that with me. And now she has a bottle for me at her house. It's labeled Tambourine's, you know, <laughs> and right. it's you know, it's and, and I've, I've shared it with plenty of people since then. So it's just kind of, yeah, a fun thing to kind of gather around. So I, I join you with that. And then with the music, with the jazz, I think that one thing when you're talking about things don't go the way you think they are, the pivot came up for me, the ability to pivot. And I mentioned the fact that, you know, I went off to school to be an architect and learned within a year that that wasn't happening for me and I had to pivot. Right. And so, and then how do you kind of regroup and reestablish? And then I've had several other pivots in my career around around various things. But the other thing that comes up for me with jazz music is what speaks to your soul and what moves you. And and when it starts moving you, go with it. And that's kind of a courage piece almost. You know, don't be afraid to dance to it, even if nobody else is dancing, because it speaks to you. And then with the leader piece. 
you know, yes, I, I agree that you know, we have to have the person that's that's got the vision, that can, can create the strategy, that can, you know, speak to whomever that to make things happen, but they also have to be someone that people want to follow. You know, you can have a fantastic vision, but if you are not a strong leader, and that's where that authentic, authentic leadership, you know, what we were talking about, that's when the vision can really become a reality because there's going to be people that want to go with you and make it happen. I love it. I, I saw a meme several years ago that said uh, a leader without followers is just someone taking a walk. Uh, I, I've said that a leader really does three things. A leader paints a very clear picture of what success looks like, because without that, people will meander around trying to do a good job, but not knowing what a good job looks like. So a leader paints a very clear picture of what success or what winning looks like. A leader uh, identifies and removes barriers that might get in the way of winning. And, and that's really important because, you know, if the leader doesn't identify and remove those barriers, as soon as the organization hits that barrier, they're going to stop and they're going to stop momentum. So that's important. And then the third thing that the leader does is the leader inspires others to want to get on board with following the mission. And a big part of that is inspiration. And I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs right now who... They've done a good job as a solopreneur, but they're struggling a little bit with inspiring people to want to pick up the mantle. That's their challenge. What makes that so hard, do you think? What, what makes it so hard for you know, someone who's done a great job of creating the vision, creating the thing, getting people on board initially, but then this idea of letting the organization or letting the cause or letting the ministry fly on its own. Why is that such a such a challenge for so many? I think about when I was listening to your three categories, the when I was listening about the second one that you were describing, um, I thought about self-leadership, like knowing yourself, being able to look into yourself. And I think so many times we when we do start, we're we're leaning into our inherent strengths, our inherent tendencies. And then when we're we're getting ready to take something to the next level or, or morph into a different type of leader there's this learning place. And sometimes we have to let go of those things that brought us to this level. And so, and so sometimes that back to trust. So we have to trust the people to be able to take that versus the control. Cause you know, power and control can feed our egos in a lot of ways. And so we have to be able to let go and let others. And, and then when I was thinking about your third category, I also think about really being able to see the potential within the folks that are the next level and can and and believe in them so they believe in themselves and be able to take that that step to make things happen and also possibly see the things within them that are need to be cultivated and so and spend the time cultivating that versus taking the reins back and saying okay nope I I can do this better than you and I'm gonna you know do all these things um myself so I think there's some discipline there's self-discipline there's the knowing thyself Another thing I mentioned to you, um, or we've talked about in the past, you and I, is just emotional intelligence. And I think that is such an important component. And I, again, love the fact that there's more emphasis on it these days. But, you know, back to knowing that you can be wicked smart 
and, you know, achieve a certain level of success. But to really be truly successful and have sustained success, you have to have that emotional intelligence where you know yourself and you know how to relate to others. And I think that's where it can fall short. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.